Today is Sexagesima Sunday, and the epistle is taken from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Brethren, you gladly suffer the foolish, whereas you yourselves are wise. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take from you, if a man be lifted up, if a man strike you on the face. I speak according to dishonor, as if we had been weak in this part. Wherein, if any man dare, I speak foolishly, I dare also. They are Hebrews, so am I. They are Israelites, so am I. They are the seed of Abraham, so am I. They are the ministers of Christ. I speak as one less wise. I am more. In many more labors, in prisons more frequently, in stripes above measure, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times that I received forty stripes, save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I was in the depth of the sea. In journeying often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils from my own nation, in perils from the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils from false brethren, in labor and painfulness, in much watchings, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things which are without my daily solicitude for all the churches. Who is not weak? Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is scandalized and I am not on fire? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things that concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I do not lie. At Damascus, the governor of the nation under Aretas, the king, guarded the city of the Damascenes to apprehend me, and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall, and so escaped his hands. If I must glory, it is not indeed expedient, but I will come to the visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ uh, more than 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was wrapped up even to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows, that he was caught up into paradise and he heard secret words which it is not granted to men to utter. For such a one I will glory, but for myself I will glory in nothing but in my infirmities. For though I should have a mind to glory, I shall not be foolish, for I will say the truth, but I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he sees in me or anything he hears from me. Unless the greatness of the revelations should exalt me, there was given me a sting of my flesh, an angel of Satan, to buffet me. For which thing three times I besought the Lord that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for power is made perfect in infirmity. Gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the eighth chapter of the gospel of St. Luke. At that time, when a very great multitude was gathered together and hastened out of the cities unto him, he spoke by a similitude. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And other fell upon rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And other some fell among thorns, and the thorns growing up with it choked it. Another some fell upon good ground, 
and being sprung up, yielded fruit a hundredfold. Saying these things, he cried out, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him what this parable might be, to whom he said, To you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to the rest in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God, and they by the wayside are they that hear. Then the devil comes and takes the word out of their heart, lest believing they should be saved. Now they upon the rock are they who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no roots, for they believe for a while, and in time of temptation they fall away. And that's which fell among thorns are they who have heard, and going their way, are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and yield no fruit. But that on the good ground are they who, in a good and perfect heart, hearing the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit in patience. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, our Catholic faith is a faith that's full of paradoxes. A paradox exists when you take two things and you place them beside one another, and they seem to be completely and utterly incompatible. There are plenty of things in this world which are contraries, things like cold and hot, short and, and tall, skinny and fat, smart and dumb. And if you want to form a paradox, all you have to do is you, you take two such contraries and you place them next to one another. Um, you could say that you found a woman to be thinly obese, or you could say that a man raised himself to a shrunken height, or that someone was lost in an intellectual stupor. And in each of these cases, you, you juxtapose two things that seem to be completely incompatible. But what you're saying is that, in fact, there is some way in which these contrary things are united. There's at least one way in which they are compatible. Now, there are very many paradoxes in the gospel, in the New Testament. Consider these various sayings that you find in, in the New Testament and think about whether this is a paradox, these are paradoxes or not. He who loses his life will save it. He who saves his life will lose it. He who exalts himself shall be humble. He who humbles himself shall be exalted. The last shall be first, and the first last. The valleys shall be exalted, and the mountains shall be made low. These are all paradoxes. Two things placed next to one another that seem to be utterly incompatible. Now, there's no one, I think, who has spoken so much about the paradoxes that you find in Christianity as the famous Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton. He even almost attributed his conversion to his recognition of the existence of these paradoxes in Christianity. When he found them, he believed. And this is what, what he says in his book, Orthodoxy. And it's almost as if he chose to write in paradoxes for the rest of his career as a tribute to his faith that he obtained through paradoxes. So in Orthodoxy, he says that a strange thought struck him 
like a still thunderbolt. Still thunderbolt is probably one of those, those paradoxes. But it, it, this, this still thunderbolt that struck him was that the mixing of extremes that we find in Christianity is actually not extreme at all. But it really represents the true balance in life. He looked at all the accusations made against Catholics by the world. The accusation that the church is too austere and that the church is too luxurious. The church is too pacifist and it's too warlike. It's too pessimistic and it's too optimistic. And he considered these paradoxical accusations made against the church and it didn't make sense to him that one religion could be accused of being guilty of two opposite things. It's like being accused of robbing someone and being accused of failing to rob someone. Seems like only one of the two accusations could possibly work, not both. And if contrary accusations were being made against Catholicism, Chesterton thought, then perhaps the reason is not that Catholicism is unbalanced, but that the world itself is unbalanced. The critics of the church are unbalanced. Perhaps it's Christianity alone that is able to find the perfect resolution of the contraries, of the extremes that exist in this, in this life, but the world is always falling into a lopsidedness. The reason I mention this is that we find some of the most extreme paradoxes possible in today's epistle. This long description by St. Paul of his many trials as an apostle. St. Paul is bragging to the Corinthians like no one you've ever heard brag before. He's giving a relentless litany of his greatness, almost like a soldier going ever over every single battle that he's ever fought in and all of his exploits that he's uh, obtained in battle. Then at the same time, St. Paul keeps talking about how weak he is, about how infirm, how he's, he wants to recognize and even glory in his weakness and in his infirmities, that that's really the only thing he wants to brag about. And according to St. Paul, his weakness is the same thing as his strength. We could say that St. Paul engages in a humble bragging about his strong weakness. We get confused with these very deep paradoxes in this description of St. Paul of all his sufferings. And I think this gives us an example of what Chesterton was talking about, the fact that Catholicism is able to resolve the extremes that exist in our life and bring them together in harmony while the world, in the world, the extremes will always remain extreme. There's two sets of extremes we're talking about here in regards to St. Paul's epistle. Humility and pride and weakness and strength. The world mixes them and makes humans lopsided. But Christianity separates them, enhances them in their separation, and makes humans perfect. In the eyes of the world, humility is the same as pessimism, and pride is the same as self-reliance. The humble man, according to the world, is the one who thinks that man is no better 
than an animal. He comes from apes, not from God. He's sort of a plague on this earth. Man is something unnatural. And if he recognizes this, then he's practicing humility. Whereas the proud man is one who learns to trust in himself and pursue the goals that he has set for himself and won't let anybody get in the way of him getting what he wants from this life. And both of these things, this this worldly humility and this worldly pride, make a person odious. And if you combine them both in a single person, then you yield the result as one of the worst persons possible. And if you look at the world today, I think you will find sufficient examples of this false humility and this false pride. There are certainly plenty of people out there today who think that human beings are destroying the earth, that, that human beings are a plague on this earth. And, the, and the, the most advantageous thing that we can do as human beings is destroy human beings, that we really need to reduce the population to 10% of its current level. They glory in the destruction of human beings through things like euthanasia and abortion. They love the death of humans, and they hate the death of plants and animals. And they believe that they are humble as a result. On the other hand, there's plenty of people who think that humans are so elevated that they have a right to do whatever they want. That we're almost godlike in our ability to control reality. That we have a divine power to decide reality. That we can change our own gender. We can define marriage to be whatever we want. That we can pass laws that actually make something right by the fact that we've gone through a democratic process, regardless of what reality says. And in fact, of course, we can do none of these things. This is the pride of the modern world. And in the world, this attempt to resolve humility and pride only ends in contradiction. The two extremes are not resolved into some sort of harmony, but they remain remain extreme and lopsided. There's a doubling of extremes instead of a resolution of extremes. How different is the humble pride and the strong weakness of St. Paul, the Apostle? It is as the difference between heaven and earth, between the world here below and the world above. St. Paul's humility comes in recognizing his own limitations that in himself, he is full of infirmity. His bragging comes in recognizing what God has done for him and what God has called him to. His weakness comes from his human infirmity. His strength comes from the power of Christ working in him. Of himself, he can do nothing. With Christ, He can do absolutely everything. Both humility and pride. Humility in recognizing his own limitations. Pride in recognizing what God has elevated him to. When St. Paul brags, he brags that he is weaker than any of the Corinthians. Who is weak, he says, and I am not weak. I am so subject to being beaten down as a minister of Christ. I am extremely vulnerable. I have been scourged five times. 
I have been beaten with rods three times. I was once stoned. I have been shipwrecked three times. I had to flee a town one time by being dropped in a basket off the city walls. I've had to work like crazy. I've suffered all kinds of pains. I've lost lots of sleep. I've been hungry, thirsty, cold, and poorly clothed. Do you suffer from human infirmity and human weakness? Well, guess what? I, as the apostle of Christ, have felt all these things and to an extreme degree. Have you suffered persecution from the world and from enemies because you are vulnerable? Well, I have suffered incredible things at the hands of the Romans and the Jews. I'm not a superman, says St. Paul. I am full of human infirmity. I am extremely vulnerable. I'm not able to change genders or change the laws of nature. I am as subject as anyone else to human infirmity and human vulnerability. Yet, in the midst of all these infirmities, and we could even say extreme infirmities, I am unbelievably strong. We would expect someone who had gone through the hell that St. Paul had gone through to be suffering post-traumatic stress syndrome. You know, you, you would expect him to be completely crushed as a human being, but it's almost like he's stronger than ever. He's unstoppable because he has the strength of God himself working in him. Even more, he has the strength of God because of his infirmity. This is what he wants to point out. His infirmity is a means for the power of Christ to work in him. This was even a revelation that Christ gave to him, that infirmity is made perfect in, or the power is made perfect in infirmity. What is he saying? He's saying this is how it works in our paradoxical faith. Starts out with your human weakness, your physical weakness, your psychological weakness, even your moral weakness that is present to you on a daily basis, 24-7. Secondly, we have to acknowledge that weakness before God continually. And only then do we become strong in that weakness. We take ourselves with all of our weakness and we present ourselves to God in a very childlike way. We ask Christ to sustain us. We ask Christ to work in us, to guide us in everything that we do in this life. And then, as a result, if we continue on this paradoxical path, glorying in our own weakness, begging for the strength of Christ, what we find is that we are able to accomplish superhuman things. We are perhaps beaten down by our cares. We are beaten down by the world. But we find in ourselves the strength to persevere. We even find in ourselves a supernatural strength a strength that seems to come from outside of us that we never realized that was possible, that we had in ourselves. It's surely a strength from our Lord Jesus Christ himself. We become like that good seed in the gospel. Of itself, it's nothing. It's just a little grain. That's all it is. But it rests in that dirt. And it soaks in the sun and the rain. And it becomes a beautiful plant, a wonderful plant that produces fruit that no one could ever expect if they just looked at the grain from the beginning of that process. Give me other saints besides St. Paul 
Consider other saints, and you will see this paradox realized in them. Give me the virgin martyrs. Give me the great confessors and defenders of the faith. Give me the most characteristic followers of Christ. You will see in them all this pattern realized. Think about St. Lucy, St. Joan of Arc, St. Bernadette, St. Maximilian Kolbe, St. John Bosco, St. Pius X. All of these figures were nothing in themselves. They were full of human weakness, we could say human plainness, human insignificance. But they changed the world through the power of Christ working in them. With St. Paul, they gloried in their own weakness and they lived with the strength of Christ. Consider the Archbishop, Archbishop Lefebvre. He was just one bishop. He was just an old man that was retired. Externally, he seemed so weak and insignificant. He had the whole power of the hierarchy against him. He had the whole mass media against him. He was so subject to attack, open to attack, seemingly a bishop without resources. But he was so strong in his weakness in the midst of all the persecution. He was so strong in holding on to the mass when they were trying to force him to give it up. He was so strong in continuing the formations of priests when he was commanded to shut down his seminary. He was so strong in consecrating bishops in order to continue the work of tradition. By doing so, he changed the world by being strong with the strength of Christ working in him in spite of his human infirmity. It was a superhuman strength and was only made possible by the infirmity. Just so we can be clear, I want to emphasize the main point that I'm trying to get us across here today. And that is that we Catholics, if we practice our faith, we have a strong weakness. The weakness is our physical, psychological, and moral infirmity. We have to humbly admit this infirmity before God. We have to acknowledge it, and we have to continually pray to God about it. The strength is in the call that God has given us. He has raised us up to the level of grace. He's created us in his image. He's raised us to the level of grace. He's given us the power to perform supernatural activities in our lives. He's given you a mission to accomplish in this life, a mission that's beyond your powers. And you have to acknowledge this. You have to recognize the calling that God has given you in this life. You have to want to achieve that mission through the power of Christ working in you. It's a superhuman mission. It's beyond your powers, but at the same time, it is your glory and your crown in this life. I don't know if you confess your weakness sufficiently to God, if you speak to our Lord and our Lady frequently enough, admit to them frequently enough your own weakness, your own infirmity, and beg them for the strength that you need. The main thing that is lacking on the part of Catholics is recourse to prayer. To receive the strength of Christ, you have to come to Mass and beg for that strength. 
To receive the strength of Christ, you have to pray your rosary on your knees and beg Our Lady for the grace of Christ. You have to present your weakness to Our Lord and Our Lady, not just during those times of formal prayer, but throughout the day. Ask them for the strength that you need to persevere in the midst of your fatigue, in the midst of your daily grind. You have to perform spiritual works throughout your life in order to draw down from heaven that divine strength that will enable you to accomplish your supernatural mission in this life so that you can change the world just as the saints change the world. You must not have any confidence in your own power. That's what today's introit tells us. But you must have all confidence in the power of Christ to work in you. And only then will you one day on your judgment day be able to do some humble bragging about your strong weakness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.